0: Welcome, everybody, to a special FinTech one-on-one podcast on Lended TV. We are broadcasting live. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome Steve Smith, who's a CEO and co-founder of Finicity. Finicity is uh, is one of the real market leaders, have been around for quite some time. We'll get the full story from Steve in a second, but uh, I wanted to get Steve on because he's a market leader, and someone who is a thought leader as well in the space. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about open banking today and how that has really evolved uh, over the last uh, few years here in this country. So welcome to the
1: podcast, Steve. It's great to uh, join you, Peter. Looking forward to this conversation. Okay, so maybe we can kick it off by... Give the listeners a little bit
0: of background. I know you you started Ficity some time ago, so why don't you just start with what was the sort of impetus to start Finicity and how it's evolved over the years?
1: you know it's interesting the the drivers for today, the passions for today and the the principles that uh, really form our our thought today are much like they were two decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you said, things have accelerated and are moving at a pace that uh, is really exciting today. A couple of decades ago, it was really about putting data in the hands of consumers and, and allowing them to have more context in their financial life. And so, you know, it was about building the technology that would allow them to have data in real time on a device where they were making decisions and be able to make those decisions in context to the rest of their financial for their financial information. So we set out to build a, a cloud, we'd call it cloud-based today. That's not a term we used a couple of decades ago, but cloud-based offering that uh, synchronized with mobile devices and provided information about your spending habits and provided context uh, with relation to those spending habits and trends associated with your overall cash flow. And it really was to uh, use this phrase today, democratize data, but it really was to open up the data that generally stored in different places and to put that all in the hands of consumers. So obviously that led us down the path of uh, building out connections to banks and beginning to to build out a platform that became, you know, what is now today our open banking platform, open finance platform, which, you know, has over 10,000 integrations built out to financial institutions, payroll companies, wealth management companies, credit card companies not only the platform that we used for our own application, personal financial management solution, you know, all those years ago to create context. but now, you know, as a platform for literally thousands of applications and services that can provide value added services and products that do just that, you know, provide uh, additional context, innovate on new solutions and provide additional levels of value.
0: Right, right. So, um, yeah, we were chatting before we started recording here and you were talking about how fintech has exploded just in the last couple of years. And you you and I have both been around. This is my second decade. I don't know if this is your second or third, uh, Steve, but, uh, you've been around a while and, um, it's really interesting to me to see the, I mean, exponential change gets thrown around a bit, but, uh, you know, so the 2010s were, you know, steady change. We thought it was pretty cool at the time of the things we were doing, but now looking at what's just even evolved over the last couple of years, it's just amazing how quickly things are changing. Like how is Finicity kind of evolving with this real rapid development of FinTech that we're seeing today?
1: You know, it is interesting to look back over a couple of decades. So I have been in the financial technology space for more than two decades. And, you know, I liken this uh, often to, you know, acceleration that we see in other industries. Great example here is Uber and Lyft came onto the scene and it was amazing technology and people started to use this service. It was disruptive. It was innovative. It, you know, it did a number of things. And now you're seeing additional services and products you know, leveraged on top of that capability. But that, you know, when you think about the technology that really drives that experience, we get back a couple of decades and think about mapping the earth and getting to a place where where we have the ability to build GPS solutions on top of, you know, every street and every location. And we talked location technology for a number of years. and, And then suddenly you've got an API infrastructure on top of all of that core data that drives value-added applications and services like an Uber or a Lyft. And it's largely the same with financial services. If you go back a couple of decades, we're really thinking about, you know, what computing capability is there? What's the mobile space look like? What are what mobile devices? You know, how capable are they? You know, the app store wasn't around then. And you, you go through and you combine all of the big data, data analytics, computing capability mobile devices, app capability, and you get all of these things kind of accelerating to a place where suddenly you start seeing interesting products and services be developed on top of that core technology. And that really started to happen in pace in about 2012. Mm-hmm. And so 2012, you saw a significant level of investment coming into this newly defined space called FinTech and we've seen acceleration every year, I think, you know, since then, to the point where we are today, where fintech is on the scene, there isn't a single aspect of our life that isn't being touched in some way through, you know, investment innovation in and around fintech. So, you know, it has been that kind of accelerating factor, but, you know, really... Powered by some of these really significant advancements in technology over the last couple of decades
0: right right let 's talk about open banking now and how of the advances in the technology you 've just talked about there how has that sort of opened up banking and you know we haven 't had like uh, you know, in Europe particularly in the u k where they mandated open banking um, back in like, two thousand and seventeen it came into force here there 's been less movement on the regulatory front but there's been a lot of movement on the technology front. So what is the state of open banking in this country today?
1: So let's just talk about where it started. I mean, the innovation really started here in the US, you know, with early entrance into the space of aggregation. And those were the kind of integrations that were built then as part of an aggregation platform were where early on. They didn't have access to all the information. They maybe weren't incredibly fast, or you know, there may have been data quality issues or gaps and the number of people, you know, a couple of decades ago that were using, you know, online banking, for example, let alone mobile banking. And so just bringing people along to a place where online banking is a a part of everyday life, mobile banking is now part of everyday life. And those technologies and advancements in the financial space We're absolutely necessary to get to a place where we can, whether we have a regulated approach to opening up data and access to data, financial institutions, or as we like to say, financial stewards, whether that's a wealth management company, payroll provider, you know, typical financial institution. And we're actually able to, you know, build out using really good technology, you know, a secure Uh, methodology for allowing somebody to be authenticated by that institution, allowing them to permission very transparently permission access to the data that they want to have accessed and allowing them to do that in a way that's transparent so that the data is permissioned for a particular use case and it flows into that you know value added use case like a personal financial management product a lending solution application you know or a account payment uh, solution largely i would just say whether it's industry-led like it is here in North America or it's regulator-led, the core technology is the same, right? We're building on top of microservices. We're using API technology. We're using authentication, OAuth authentication, standard technology, and we're getting to a place where we are able to allow consumers and small and medium-sized businesses to, at a high volume, permission access to their data. The question is really around the pace. you know, does it move faster given a regulatory approach or does it move faster given uh, less regulation and more of an industry-led, innovation-led approach? And I think the jury is still out on that, candidly, because if you think about, you know, where you're seeing most of the leading innovation, often that's taking place in North America and then being exported to different places throughout the world if you're looking at places where maybe there's less friction in finding exactly, you know, what data elements are available, you know, what the uptime requirements are, how, how the API is built out, API servers built out by a, a data steward, like a financial institution, then you might look to a regulated space and say, well, there's a bit less friction there. And the U S is kind of working through those things with the standards organization that I co-chair FDX. So, Hard to say, Peter, but I honestly, you you know, I think the outcomes are largely the same. We're driving innovation and value-added services on top of that. And uh, I think ultimately what we're going to end up with here in North America is, you know, a continued industry-led approach with likely some regulatory overview or guide rails or assistance to provide definition in certain areas. Right, right.
0: And I think, one thing that's interesting too, I think in this country, the consumer doesn't really talk about open banking they just they just want to be able to connect their bank account when they go and apply for a loan or whatever it is. So maybe what I'd like to to get your perspective on, maybe can you give us some examples of where where open banking is really making a a real difference in consumer experience?
1: yeah, let's talk about that for a minute, but let's say uh, you know, one of the things that's helpful is to you know we've been using this term open banking for some time is largely you know defined in Europe and right. and as you said in North America we've never really used it we're really talking more about the an open financial data network right so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of data stewards that can participate in that open financial data network including some of the examples i've talked about wealth management or monoline um, credit card companies or payroll Providers and you know I'm sure that we'll see utility providers and perhaps insurance and others become part of this open financial data uh, network, two sided network which is you know permissioned by a consumer and SME. When you think about how it's creating impact, you you look at the use cases so. Let's take Tomo Credit, for example, a a partner of uh, Finicity and MasterCard, where Kim and and her team are really looking at ways to extend credit to those who traditionally find themselves on the outside looking in from a standard credit perspective. But with the open financial data network, they can get a bank account, they can permission access to that account, and their absolute analytics that can be utilized around cash flow – that allow an underwriter to determine ability and propensity to pay. And in that case, Tomo's issuing credit to hundreds of thousands of, of individuals who normally would have to wait some period of time before they can get access to credit. You think about in the lending space with mortgages and uh, the fact that now you can apply for a mortgage and do it online or with mobile and you can push an access to your financial information and instantly have your assets, income and employment verified. And it's cutting days off of the closing process for the mortgage for a mortgage. What's the impact of that? look at the real estate side. How does that impact real estate transactions? How does that provide more frictionless solutions in the capital markets? How does that really impact other aspects of the the consumer experience as it relates to, to mortgage lending? And that's just two examples of literally thousands of innovations that are taking place as a result of this open financial data network and really making that data come alive and providing, you know, developers uh, in this ecosystem an opportunity to add value on top of that data and drive solutions into the market.
0: I actually just, I refinanced my mortgage uh, fairly recently, just a few months ago. And I did it with one of the FinTech lenders. And I was amazed. It was mobile-centric. I actually did most of it on the desktop because that's where I'm sitting most of the time on, on a computer. But what was amazing to me was how few PDFs I had to upload. I had to do some. But it's such a different experience when I previously got a loan, which was many years ago, with a major bank, and I just was just noticing how seamless the whole process was, and it would have been wouldn't have been possible with, without some of the things you were just you just talked about there. So let's talk about consumer permissioned data. What is that exactly, and uh, how is that being used, particularly in the in the underwriting process?
1: So consumer permissioned data really speaks to data that. You know, is owned by a consumer sits at a bank. In past, you'd think about this as well. I can go to the bank and I can get my bank statements, and, and it itemizes every everything my financial experience with that account with that bank. So, permission data is just this ability for a consumer to, in a digital way, to authenticate who they are and the fact that they're the owner of that particular account or that particular experience with financial steward and then provide specific permission typically to a data access provider like uh, Finicity is part of MasterCard to, you know, using the technology, the, the integration technology that's been created to go and collect that data on behalf of the consumer, and it could be everything from transaction-based information to account-based information to, you know, an instant view of balances to, you know, any one of a number of different pieces of individual components of that account experience. We call them data elements that can then be used either singularly in a service like a quick balance check for before an account-to-account payment is made or in combination with things like average balances, some attributes that can be calculated from that information and served up in a report that can be qualified to be used by, you know, Freddie or Fannie, for example, in the mortgage lending experience. And that information can then flow as a combination of Many micro services that combine together in a qualified report that that then fully digitize that experience. You were talking about. You you mentioned you didn't have to go and pull PDFs. Well, the reason for that is because the consumer permissions. You know, uh, an organization like Finicity, data access provider, to go extend directly into the account and pull all the data and typically have made up that PDF and put it into a digital format, put it up in microservices, and create this instant kind of flow of data and information that checks the box for your assets, or checks the box for your, your income, or allows for the creation of the attributes that form the risk analytic around your credit uh, worthiness for a particular loan, or you know something that uh, you'd be applying for. And that's how uh, it 's working and that's and that 's what consumer permission data is you know in the way that it flows into the value added services
0: I wanted to ask about cash flow underwriting because you you mentioned it already once, and I feel like it's it 's just table stakes now it's everyone should be using it it 's a you get so much more rich data than just looking and pulling a credit report. Where are we at with cash flow underwriting? would you say I know you speak to a to a lot of lenders I and mean, do you feel like we have a long way to go still or are most lenders really interested in this now
1: so the answer you know is most lenders are really interested in that but it's more complex than than that risk models that are applied or risk models that have used typically for more traditional lenders for a number of years and the capital markets that sit behind that where cash is provided is typically sitting on top of something like a standard risk analytic like a fico score and so when you change that up, it typically takes years, not you know weeks or months to mm-hmm. to really test into new methodology understand how it might change the risk assessment and provide that back into the capital market so they can evaluate the risk associated with a portfolio of a particular type of consumer or small or medium-sized business loan. So the fact is that if the capital market is behind it, if there's a capital market that said, we like cash flow underwriting and we're here to support a fintech lender, for example, or a traditional lender that has you know access to capital that has been engaged you know from a capital market perspective in in building out a segment that reaches into areas that perhaps are not traditionally served or where our current credit underwriting creates maybe some some difficulties uh, you know I think in the u s we speak to the number of about. Fifty, you know, to sixty million people that have what we would call thin credit or are credit invisible. So, if we're trying to extend into that population, you know, and you've got a capital market partnership that's uh, that's very interested in that, I think I think that's where we're seeing the progress. You know, we've we've been innovating around this for some time with the credit bureaus and with FICO, for example. Right. Uh, you know, right. we released the Ultra FICO score together with Experian and FICO. Coming up on three years ago and and that was really a lot of great work around the notion that you could take a standard credit uh, report and then collect data and look data transaction data from a cash flow perspective and actually augment that standard report with more uh, data that would either help you know, in the case where you have a thin file or or actually provide an ability to underwrite where a person is credit invisible. That's being tested into the market. There are applications where it's being used today. And so, you know, we're seeing where where there's this application of bringing transaction data together with with more traditional credit underwriting uh, data that would be provided through the Bureau. A lot of testing uh, in the market and a lot of, and I suspect it will continue in that phase of this innovative development for some time, and then more rapid innovation around places where the capital markets are coming in and being a partner in that process and really looking at this and saying, no, the analytic makes sense. We we agree there's real you know data behind it, and we can get behind this because uh, the history associated with this type of underwriting now is rich enough that we can fund with confidence.
0: Moving on, I wanted to Touch on financial inclusion because it feels like a lot of this, you know, like some of the ultra FICO projects and other things. Uh, there's been actually a lot of different initiatives that have really tried to, you know, open access to credit to those who are underserved. And I'd love to get your perspective of where we're at. I mean, I feel like fintechs done a lot, particularly I think uh, in the lending space. Uh, there's a lot of FinTech lenders that are focused on the, you know, the underserved communities, but. Where do you think we're at and what more needs to be done?
1: I think where we are is the market from both a traditional lending perspective, fintech perspective, a technology perspective, a regulator perspective, is has largely recognized that cash flow data, transaction data, is and can and should be used to extend credit. Um, you have the joint statement from five regulators You know, basically that said, you know, we've looked at this and it needs to be done, uh, you know, thinking through compliance with FICRA and compliance with the Equal Opportunity EOA. That was a major step forward. And so, you know, and that was on the heels of a number of different studies that took place over the last four to five years. So largely, we're in a place now today where the innovation you know is taking place. It's it's possible for somebody to come into the U.S. you know first time, never had credit here in the U.S. Work with a number of different fintechs, uh, including Tomo in the example that we used before. And, uh, you know, establish a bank account in a very short period of time, be qualified to uh, to get a loan on a card and build your credit much more quickly than ever before. Before, you know, six months to a year. Now, within a couple of months, you can be at a place where you've established some initial credit and uh, in a short period be in a better place. So I think that the innovation now is driving real impact into a number of those areas where you found people on the outside looking in from a financial services perspective here. Uh, Listen, we still have miles to go, though, when you think about – the number of people that are impacted and the number of people that we would like to bring into, you know, standard financial services right here in our backyard. I'm really excited Peter about the progress that's being made in the last year we've made so much progress around actual value added solutions that are driving real impact. And I think you'll just continue to see that accelerate in terms of the number of people served, the number of people that are brought into the standard kind of financial services world, uh, with access full access to financial services uh, in a meaningful way, and ultimately, I mean, if you look at developed countries, you know how much of our foundation is based upon the efficient distribution of low cost capital right, right? it 's like that is fundamental to how we establish a successful economies and when We were doing some of the initial research with FICO. We looked at the fact that if somebody could get a bank account, if you could, if you had an identity, and somebody could get a bank account on a mobile device, okay, and have some degree of spending money on that account, they could be meaningfully scored. Meaning that the Ultra FICO uh, score or any other type of cash flow based analytic that has proven. Uh, to be successful, they could be meaningfully scored. And we're talking about billions of people, you know, where that can extend into on a worldwide stage. So some of the most exciting uh, work that I think uh, as an industry we're doing is this this notion of how we can truly drive impact with uh, financial innovation and uh, the open financial data network.
0: I'd love to just, get, uh, just touch on it briefly. The FDX, the organization you co-chair, can you just – Tell the listeners uh, a little bit about that organization, what its goals are and what it does.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, a bit over five years ago, you know, when things were starting to accelerate, and it was very clear that the Open Financial Data Network was, was coming together. There was a need for us to bring a standards organization together, much like you know, the Bluetooth organization did 20 years ago when right. it was, we've got all this innovation around short-range connectivity that we like take for granted today. It was this uh, recognition that as an industry working together, you know, we can solve some real problems, rising tides lift all ships. If we can get to a place where we have great interoperability between data, data access providers, uh, value added, uh, you know, innovative uh, developers and data stewards that we really could accelerate the pace of innovation and we could do it in a very responsible way. Uh, and so that was that was the notion, uh, you know, we sent out uh, Uh, invites to about 12 companies uh, that started meeting together on a monthly basis. That became what is now the financial data exchange. It has over 200 members. It includes all of the the largest banks, a number of uh, mid-tier banks. It includes the processors and cores. It it includes a, a large number, a growing number of fintechs, and even thought leaders and individuals that are all working together to advance the standards around consumer permission and SME permission access to financial data and how that can then be used in a variety of different use cases.
0: I want to do, get to a couple more questions before we let you go. I want to talk about buy now, pay later. You can't ignore it. There's an article every single day about buy now, pay later these days. And you know, some of these companies do virtually no underwriting and their loan sizes are small and they are a loan because if you're paying for something later, by definition, that is a loan, but they're building massive businesses. How do you view the, the buy now, pay later space?
1: It's a new twist on something that's been around for a long time. I mm-hmm. mean, issuing a credit card and using it to purchase items real time and pay later is a, is, is a buy now, pay later methodology rent-to-own of the past and retail installment is all kind of a buy now, pay later. The challenge is that there's there's some degree of time associated with setting those up. There's some friction associated with setting up these accounts. The, The real thing that's driving buy now, pay later is this instant kind of engagement where there's access to Financial institution account, a variety of different ways to uh, facilitate the payment technologies come together to place merchants in a position where they can extend uh, you know micro uh, lending around uh, the acquisition of goods and services and and they can either continue to support that and sustain it based upon the history that is very clear and very well defined as they engage or not and so there's so much data available today, it allows for more general type, you know, risk assessment. So you say they're virtually doing no underwriting, but they're definitely understanding risk and uh, doing risk assessment that allows them to say, no, we can do instant frictionless solutioning around this and uh, and really open up that space. And I think that's why, again, the access to data, the technology has brought us to a place where the variety of different payment methodologies, real time. And uh, you have this ability to continue to analyze the data to understand what what your risk profile looks like and how it might need to be adjusted.
0: So then last question we have here, how is the relationship with MasterCard? I mean, have you done into much integration yet? How is your relationship going to evolve over time?
1: You know, you'd look at Finicity and say, well, rapidly growing FinTech company, Had we had close to 700 team members at the point that we uh, consummated the deal with with Mastercard, obviously Mastercard's got a great brand. It's been around for a number of years as an organization. They're they're running a card network that is uh, connecting to millions of merchants and tens of thousands of financial institutions across 200 countries, and so it's big, right? It's a big organization, and yet the open financial data network and growing that out as another network for MasterCard is one of their top priorities as a strategic priority for the organization. And so we have a very important role to play within MasterCard and we're, we're engaging in a very real way to play that role. It's uh, you know looking at what MasterCard had at the time, combining those efforts together, you know, expanding on a wide stage, looking at You know, other countries and frankly, taking value added products that have been developed and services and solutions that finish these created in North America and looking at ways that that can be incorporated into other places where connectivity is being built out. So, all of that from a technology and an advancement and building out the open financial data network for MasterCard is is moving very fast. And the team is uh, growing significantly and lots of, uh, lots of excitement around that and some of the expansion. For the rest of us, uh, you know, bringing a small technology company together with a large company and, you know, fitting all those pieces together. We've done some integration. We'll largely be complete with full integration by mid-year next year. Uh, you know, the challenge around all of that is that the product and services and technology is growing so fast. Then you wrap integration challenge on top of that. And so we all have our hands full for sure, but there's uh, there's no lack of uh, energy and excitement around the around the activity.
0: Right, right. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Steve. Thank you very much uh, for the podcast listeners. Thank you very much.
1: Well, oh, let's uh let's do it again sometime. Yep, sounds good. All All right. Okay. Okay. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the live podcast we had here and uh, just wanted to touch on one point that Steve said there and that, that's around cash flow underwriting and I really think this is a big deal, particularly when it comes to being inclusive of really everyone in the financial system. But the reality is if you have a bank account, you should be able to get access to credit. Now, assuming that your bank account isn't overdrawn all the time or you actually have consistent income coming in, but really the vast majority of people who are unscored have a bank account, they have income, and yet they can't get access to credit because they don't have a credit score. Cash flow underwriting changes that, and I feel like that development, which is really a, a part of open banking, is going to just be a game changer over the next uh, really two to three years. You're going to see vast numbers of more people getting access to credit that wouldn't have been able to before. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.